parte Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa che gol! 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 È il magnifico! Il magnifico! Il magnifico rettore! Entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but! Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. El largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol. 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 Cerebro. Cerebro. Cerebro Iniesta. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on a Monday, Manic Monday, call it whatever you want. First See, Monday of August. This is true. August 2nd, the first Monday of August. How does it feel to be in the middle of August? It's, they like to say with baseball terms, the dog days of summer. Training camp underway, football right here. This is not a dead zone. It's never really a dead zone in sports. Well, I know a lot of people like to say that. There's a lot of some sports talk shows out there who say, this is the dead zone. Well, no. and they always say during the All-Star break, they always say the yeah. dead weekend or whatever, those the, the three deadest days in sports. Yeah. Yeah, because there's only 40,000 things going on instead of 60,000. <laughs> <laughs> T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, Numchuk on the other side of the glass. Uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Took off uh, Thursday and Friday. Kind of have a, a sandwich vacation as I... As I like to call it, so well, uh, you're you're all food oriented, so a sandwich vacation kind of makes sense. It makes sense. Are you going to Hawaii? Yeah, weren't they the sandwich islands? (laughs) That is true. I still got to get to Hawaii. Still, still haven't gotten to Hawaii. But yeah, the sandwich vacation where, so I'm off Thursday, Friday, take a a, a weekend getaway, and I guess I should clarify where I went. You know, went went to Sacramento. I mean, some people thought that I was gone. I heard you were calling. Where's Waldo? You know exactly. Well, yeah, where because on the Wednesday before you were mentioning that you were going to see Houston, you were going down to Houston to see baseball, and so I thought, okay, so Thursday I was like, yeah, I'm in the studio, TC's down in Houston. Then I look on social media, I'm like, wait, TC's in Sacktown. He didn't go to Sacktown, and then he's going to the game tonight in Houston. Must be Houston next weekend. Yes. So now I'm checking. I look it up, and it's like, oh yeah, Houston's at home next. Yeah. So so at first I, I'm like, well, instead of where's Waldo, where's TC? We would. I I was like, uh, apparently he's incognito someplace a little bit, but I don't know if you're incognito when you're posting 46 food pictures exactly. every day. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but we finally did figure it out. But th- the first day I, I thought you were going to Houston because that's what you had said right before you left. Well, but I think you were already in vacation mode. I was in vacation mode, and I was looking real forward to going to Houston next week. And so that was the the plan. Sacramento this week, this weekend, and then Houston next weekend. So I may have mentioned Houston, and who knows? Well, you didn't, and you also threw me off because I said, are you bringing your garbage can? And you said, well, no, they're going to be home, so I don't need the garbage can. Next week. And it's like, yeah, well, well, yeah, Yeah. but they weren't actually home for when you went last week. And that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, like, well, they know that the... 
the Houston's playing the Giants. They're on the West Coast, so there you go. But yeah, you're right. But no, well, but they do play the Giants in Houston too. So yeah, I mean, yeah, you know they, you know, I mean, you. Yeah, I know you used to be a pitcher. You threw the curveball, and I was looking fastball. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> This week I'm going to Houston, my All friend. Right. I can hardly wait. Woo. That's it. Can hardly wait. That's it. Get to go to Minute Maid Park Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Looking forward to it. You're going so, every day. Going every day. Yeah. So when I when I when I go to the games, I pretty much go to the games every day. Go see my boy Dusty Baker, my man Dusty Baker, and uh, he'll be managing the Astros. And the good thing is they're playing the Twins. So I mean, not really excited about the Twins, but at least they should probably win three out of four. Or maybe sweep them, right? Well, you would think so. <laughs> the Twins think, aren't yeah. having a very good year. No. Kind of just like the real Twinkies, they've yeah. expired this season. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's me and my food expiration. You know how I feel about that. But yeah, you know Did what? Twinkies it, ever actually expired? I thought they had a shelf life of like 100 years or something. Well, yeah. You can still find them in some <laughs> vending machines, some gas stations. No question. Right next to the sushi. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Somebody asked me if I wanted to go to sushi in Sacramento. I go, I'll, I'll pass on that. I mean, you know, my time is limited. My meals are limited. Uh, sushi is not going to make the rotation. So, but uh, yeah, you saw what made the rotation. You know, it's the usual. The usual makes the rotation. You but, had one good-looking steak there right, in the little. I didn't yeah. notice a lot of the other stuff because you know I am not as eclectic in my 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 different uh, mm-hmm. choices in food as you are. But when I see a nice steak, I do tend to look at that and go, oh, that looks pretty but good. But see, see, that's the thing. I'm not as eclectic either. You and I are, are pretty similar where we like what we like. But you'll try stuff. I will. and Because people can talk you into it. Yeah. No, you got to try this here, and you'll do it. You know, people order something, and yeah, hey, Frank, try this. No. Yeah. So you're hard no. I used to be hard no, and then I became okay. But I, I don't, like, fully dive into it. And so usually I go to my standard regular places. And that's why like my postings were like a lot of traditional places we go. And most of them are comfort food places. They're classic. They, they're iconic. They've been around for 50 plus years or whatever. And I love those type of places. And I'll get you know friends of mine and say, hey, let's go to this place. You'll like that. So now they're trying to say... I'm going to turn you on to this place because I think you'll like it. They're I'm trying going, to broaden your horizons. They're trying to broaden my horizons, and they think, like, okay, you go to the, all the same places. Let's go here. So one of the places, it was a new rib place because I have my standard rib place. And I said, okay, fine. I'll give it a shot. But, you know, when I get there, I'm one of those guys that really dives into the menu. Like, okay, first time you're there. I want to make sure, you know, I get the right thing. I don't want to venture off too much. And so, you know, my buddy's saying, no, you, you know, you're, you're going to like this. And I said, well, I do like pulled pork. Oh, they got a great pulled pork sandwich. But then again, so I look at the, the pulled pork. And it's like, well, it's got coleslaw. I go, I'm out. I can't. No, no coleslaw. You can't substitute? Well, I, I'm saying I'm out. Like, I, I don't want to try that. Or I'm going to ask them to do it without the coleslaw. And, of course, you get the look like, ah, oh, just have it. I was supposed to. I, go, nah, I, I don't like coleslaw. So I don't, I don't want coleslaw. So now maybe I'll venture off. You know, somewhere else. So as you see that picture, there's the pulled pork sandwich as Numchuck is pulling up. There is no coleslaw on that bad boy. So, uh, but yeah, it, w- it was very good. But again, I'm partial to some of my other barbecue joints. And But this is more, like you said, more of an eclectic place where it's a brewery. And there's so many places, you know, they have a hundred different kinds of micro brews. And they got food and they got barbecue and they got ribs and all that sort of thing. So... It was good. It was, it was good. So, yeah, I, I, I am open to venturing, but when you're there on a limited time, I like to get it. Okay, you got to you know, check off 
you know, my, my, my go-tos. There it is. That was an onion ring that you're pointing to right there. There it goes. Yeah, yeah. That's So, so, yeah, so if you had to break it down, yeah. how many traditional comfort safety spots you go to as opposed to trying something new? What would that breakdown ratio be? Would it be nine comfort to one or the other? Is it eight two? I mean, what is that percentage? Here's the deal. When I go to... Like my home, I go to Sacramento or say when I used to live somewhere else, I'd come to Vegas. I have my spot. So the familiarity of a former place that I know real well, I'd say nine to one ratio. Okay. Yeah. But now Houston, I have no allegiance to Houston because I've never been. So now I'm going to venture off. It's going to be, I'm, I'm experimenting. Well, and, but, and you, but recommendations. Well, I was going to say, you, you'll probably take the recommendations of Dusty yeah. and maybe some other yeah. people in that that yes. have been some places. Yeah. Like if you went to Dallas, you would call up Houston Nut and say, okay, let's go to your barbecue right. place and what else do you recommend or whatever. Absolutely. And then you would make your own assessments of them. Correct. So that next time you went down, you'd be like, you know, Houston Nut, yeah. he, he great places. Or you'd yeah. be like... Well, Houston is nuts. I'm going to pick right. out some of my own places. Right, right. But that is true. So, like, the first time I went to Washington, D.C., I, again, recommendations. Then the next time I went back, so I went to a lot of those same places again. So, yeah. So that's pretty pretty interesting point there. But that's 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 how I, I, I go about my, my, my food venture. So, so, like, if you were in Tokyo right now at the Olympics, you'd be completely lost. Oh, man. I, you know, I'd probably go Americanized, which and, I hate to do. And you probably but, couldn't trust, like... No. Calling Chris Chapman or somebody no. like that and ask him what's the places to be because I know that he likes all that weird stuff. Well, even, and and I, and I wouldn't sign off on that. even if he doesn't like it, he would certainly try it. Yeah. Oh yeah, they have great eel over at this Thank place. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't do that. I. I, I I'm, <laughs> no, no, no. I am a creature. All right. I'm a creature of habit, not a creature of venturing off to someone something that I'm. You know, I don't want to put that in my mouth. So, like I told you back uh, back in Illinois, I had a friend, and we used to say, "If it ain't moon, it ain't worth chewing." You know, right? it was a lot of steak there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so again, like Chicago, I mean, I'm dying to go to Froggy's. Of course, Cartwright called me over the weekend again. He, where was he at? Having lunch at Froggy's, right? Like, man, I, I got to get there. So when I go to Chicago, I'm at a point now where I don't really try anything new. Because I, I know the steakhouse I want to go, I know the pizza place I want to go to, I know the Italian or the French place I want to go yeah. to, so that, yeah. So do you go to like a Buena Beef or something like that, even though it's a chain, but they're, but they're pretty good? But I don't know that one. No. It, 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 uh, my friends in that uh, swear by that is the best place to get an Italian beef or something like that. Okay, an Italian beef, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. And again, I'm not much of that sandwich you know, type of guy. So what's your pizza yeah. go-to then in Chicago? Giordano's. Giordano's, okay. Yeah, but I, some people go with the Rosati. Some people, I mean, there, there's I got a, a buzzer for Giordano's. Ones. Really? Okay, so we we can have this discussion. Gino's East. He's thinking. Mm. Yeah, see, I'm not much for Gino's East. Uh, I, I, I like Gino's, uh, the one right by the Sears Tower in that there, or the, the Hancock Center, because yeah. it's, you know it's the original one and the classic see, on the walls I, and I'm stuff like that. that. So okay, how about uh, I, I like Uno and Due, Pizzeria Uno and Due. How about See? Lou Malinati's? Lou Malinati's. I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah. See, I've had all those. Yeah. But so you're saying my go-to probably Giordano, but I'm fine with all those. So, so and, and again, if we went and, and Numchuck says, hey, let's go to you know, Uno or, or, or Lou's, I'm down for that. Well, and it might be too. You might say, well, now, do we want to take a long time here? Do you want to go to a Lou Malinati's or a Gino's or something and get the deep dish where you got to wait a lot longer? Right. Or if you're, you know... 
oh, the thin crust is fine or something like that, then, you know, that might yeah. be a little quicker stop, and yeah. maybe you don't go to one of those places. So, Because there's different styles of Chicago pizza. That is true. Very, very true. And some people like, as I call it, the cracker pizza, which I'm not a big fan of. All right. Nunchuck likes that. I'm more... Where they cut it into the squares? Yeah. Uh, don't. Stop. That, that's, that's where you have to stop with me right now. When they go squares, I'm out. And so I'll even ask when I go to a cracker-thin place like that, do you go squares? And if they say no, I say, can you please do pie cut for me? And sometimes they have an attitude. I mean, there's a place here in town, as we know, that will not, they refuse to, to go the traditional pizza pie cut. Now, see, I do not know that because I've never asked for that. Oh, okay. So, like, I go to one place here that has, um, Amore has real good Chicago-thin crust pizza. They always do the squares, and I'm fine with it. Okay. So you brought up their name, so I, I, will, I will go ahead and talk about them. I do like their pizza, but i got to bash them as well, too, because... They won't do pie cut. They will not do pie cut. And so when I, when I put them to the test and ask, why won't you do a pie cut, they just say, well, yeah. Well, what? Well, i got to go back and ask the chefs or the cooks. And they go back and they ask. They go, well, we used to do that before, but then... You know, uh, you know, people complained, and, and it got too confusing, so now we just say blanket no, no pie cut on the thin. However, if you get the double dough or you get the deep dish, the deep dish yeah. they're all pie cut. So here's my point. If you can cut, go through the effort, and you have the proper machinery to go on a double dough on, on two-thirds of your pizza, you have three pizza choices when it comes to thickness. Two of the three, you do pie cut, but on the one you say, no, I'm not going to do it, that's where I got an issue with. I can see that. I can see that. Be- right? Because in the restaurant I worked at, well, I worked in several restaurants back in Illinois, a couple out here before I got into Sports Talk Radio, you know, when I used to eat well and make good money when I worked in restaurants. <laughs> but, um, you know, but, yeah, you know, <laughs> there is something to be said, certainly, for, you know, the, the the saying always was the customer is always right. Right. It, it sounds like their thing is no. Have no. it our way or forget no. about it. Now I got a couple other. If you want to bring these guys up? I got a couple other issues with them that I'm. I like their pizza so much and their food, but I've been tempted almost to boycott. But you, not looking for a future sponsorship from them. And I did, and I was because I really li- I really like it. So last time I went there, I had the Chicago dogs. I think we talked about this with the poppy seed buns. So the last time I went there, but with the pizza. So I've gotten to the habit where I really like the thin crust. I'm not a huge thin crust guy, but I do like theirs. Their thin crust is good. And so now what do I have to do? I have to say, don't cut it. Don't cut it. So I bring it home and I cut it myself. So they'll do that. They'll go no cut or squares only, but they won't do the pie cut. So please explain this to me. Well, here's what I think you should do. I think you should go there. Order the pizza, say don't cut it. Yeah. Have them bring it out to your table. Yeah. Bring your own pizza cutter and sit down at the table and do the pie cut. I mean, you used to be a wrestling promoter. Yes. Guys would have the, the pizza the foreign object in, 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 yeah. in their tights yeah. and put it on somebody's forehead. Do that right in front of them. And then when the table's sitting next to you, go, what are you doing there? Go Say... They won't do the pie cut, so I'm doing it myself. I just order it because I don't like the squares. Mm. And have other people go, well, that's kind of interesting. Bring your own pizza slicer and pie cut it right in front of them. Game, set, match. And you'll go with me. I'll go with you. Yeah, see, that's it. We'll make it an outing. That's a great idea. But see, this is coming from a guy who's used to bringing his own stuff. Who's bringing his own Coca Colas into a Pepsi place? I have done so, that before. Yeah, yes, I know. I've, I've witnessed it. So, <laughs> so again, for you, it's it's no. Pro- I think I will do that. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. 
to, just to make a point. And you know me, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a scene of it too. I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna start cutting. I'm going. I'm gonna line it all up. I'm gonna be like, like, like I'm measuring for the first down. Oh no no no! You know Here's what, I mean? what you do. Yeah. Here's what you do. You do that and you make sure you bring somebody and you videotape it and post it. Yeah. Here I am, T.C. Martin. Check it out, tcmartinshow.com. They're going to hate me. Here at Amori. And, uh, you know, Amori's, they won't do the pie cut for you, so I got my own slicer here. Got the pizza. Yeah. Looks delicious. Not cutting yeah. any slices yet. We're about to do the proper pie cut, as all pizza should be served as, and then have at it. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I, I, they will probably hate will, will They'll probably eject me, don't you think? No. You don't think how, so? How are they going to eject? Are, are you paying your bill? Yeah, are, 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 did you order a pizza? Yeah. Did you order it to, to, to go or to eat in? You ordered it to eat wow. in. This what is, you do with it now? This is a challenge. This is, this is, this is a challenge. I'm going to have to do it. Now, uh, how often when you go out do you pay with a credit card or do you go cash? I go cash okay, pretty so, much all the okay. time. Well, See, I don't like credit card for one reason. Because if you pay by credit card, your server and that doesn't always get all of the tip or something, or you know how they don't always report yep. all their tips and yep. stuff like that. Yep. Now, I do know some people that pay with a credit card for the food and then leave okay. a cash tip. Right. But I just oh, right. basically go cash. That's, okay. So the reason why I bring this up uh, to see if you have experienced this, but obviously you have not, so I'm probably going to have some breaking news for you on this one. At your establishment that, that we do like so much but have some quirks with, do you know that if you go to that establishment – that if you pay for a credit card, they will charge you more. They'll charge you a dollar more because you're using a credit card. There's a lot of places now that are doing it. I don't like it. I don't understand it. It's like when I see people, okay. you know, you pay at the pump and yeah. you're paying like six cents a gallon. Yeah. And people, oh, it's only six cents. It's like, then why are you going to a cheaper gas station? I challenge you on that because, you know, I eat out a lot. I've never seen one place, not one place, that has a sign or will tell you, we're going to charge you more if you use a credit card. And they went to this during the pandemic by saying they lost a lot of money, you know, with this, which I, I, I still don't believe that. But again, there's enough markup in the pizza industry and in pastas and that sort of thing. Well, they were also closed down for quite a while, that particular establishment. So they might have lost a well, lot of money. Now, part one, of it was all, no, one, one of the places they were remodeling. Right. But the place where I've been going, where this has happened, they never closed. Okay. And they they're open closed. seven days a week? They're open seven days a week. Okay, Because the one that yeah. just reopened on this side of town is actually closed on Monday and Tuesdays. I, I know. I know. But so it became the principal matter. For me, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a buck. But no, it, it, you, you've never done it before. You didn't do it pre-pandemic. And you're not doing it post-pandemic. And I say post-pandemic because basically, you know, yeah, we're getting the second wave and everything. But they, def- they never stopped because they got comfortable. And the poor girls that work at the front there, they have got to explain this to people over and over and over. And it's got to be a point where now it's, it's a problem. It's a major inconvenience. And so you, you're not going to go ahead and, and do a pie cut because you're just being stubborn. But now you're hitting everybody. Let's face it. Majority of people go to restaurants. I'd probably say 80%, right? 85% pay, pay with a, a credit card, a debit card, and you need to charge everyone a dollar because you're claiming you know, uh, poor and you know, you know, we got hurt so much. We, we, everyone got hurt. And you know who got hurt too? The customers got hurt Absolutely. as well too. So to me, 
to continue to enforce it that was never in play for all the years that those guys have been open, I got an issue with that. I can see that. Yeah. Maybe next time you go there, if you pay with credit cards, say, yeah, and for my dollar service fee, I'd like a pie cut, please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, and I don't know if the other location is doing that because the last time I went to the other location since they reopened, I didn't get pizza. I got hot dogs, yeah. and um, I, I didn't f- pay the bill. Yeah, I Somebody actually met a friend there yesterday because okay. he wanted to meet someplace and had an Italian beef, And but we always pay cash. Like I say, we always pay cash. Okay. You should go in there and see if there's a sign up there that says that. Says that. But anyway, yes. Yes, the porterhouse was fantastic that I had. It was a three-pound porterhouse. Three-pound porterhouse. Yeah, three pounds. And what's cool about this place, and this is more, I don't want to say fine dining, but again, it's not, it's not the typical dive where you... And you can appreciate this because I'm sure you've worked in restaurants like this where you get to pick out your meat. You get to put, pick out your hand cut of meat. And, and again, so these things like were like three inches thick. And they're market price as well, too. So you don't know, which, you know how much you're paying until they weigh it for you and, and all that sort of thing. Well, I could it's see that, cool. yeah, because yeah. the weight could be a lot different in that. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, yeah. uh, you, you should pay less for a two-and-a-half-pound porterhouse yeah. than a three-and-a-quarter-pound right. porterhouse. Right. And then they slice it for you, and uh, you know, then 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 you go to town. It becomes very shareable, and like I say, so is that what you did? You got a three pound porterhouse yes. for you and the rest of the table. You kind yeah. of split it, yeah, for two okay. people, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there, so there you go. And like, well, because but, I because I know my dad used to talk about a place, and, and again, this is before I was even born, so that shows you how long ago it was. But by the uh, amphitheater in Chicago. They used to have a place called the Stockyard Inn, and it was literally right next to the Stockyards in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they used to have like a three or four pound steak that you could order, and if you could finish it, it was free. Right. You know, back in those days and that. So, right. you know, kind of like those eating challenge types, like a Joey Chestnut or something would probably have three of them or something. But, but you know, so, and that's why I think, you know, when you, like, I, we hear a three pound steak and you go, wow, how many meals did you get out of that? But there are people that would go, yeah, give me a three-pound steak, and then let's see what, what I'm going to have for dessert. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we, we've talked, when we talked to Mickey Sudo about the big Texan, I told you my buddy from yeah. Chicago who drove out to Vegas uh, to meet me, he stopped at the big Texan in Amarillo, was it the, the 64-ounce steak. And Something if you, like that, and yeah. if you eat it all, you get your name on the wall, it's yeah. free. And, and uh, she had like three of them, she said, right? Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. So my guy said, I said, well, how, how'd you do? He goes, all I left was the tip. Because so he he conquered the the big Texan, so now Amarillo I, there there you go. How far is Amarillo from Houston? Because I was having this conversation with uh, friends of mine who live in Dallas who are talking about meeting me down in Houston, and I'm trying to figure out okay what's close to Houston. They go, they go okay what else are you going to do besides going to watch baseball and and food of course, and so I'm going okay well you know how far is you know I you know and I'm a college guy as you know I love to go to college universities. And I don't want to go, you know, get a Rice T-shirt or a University of Houston Cougar T-shirt because I'm not in them. But they had told me, well, you know, what about College Station? And I go, whoa, Texas A&M. I said, yeah, I could see myself going by Texas A&M. I would enjoy that. So they looked it up for me and said, yeah, you're uh, not going Amarillo to Houston. It, it, it's about an hour and a half. And I go, uh, okay. Amarillo to Houston is eight hours and forty five minutes. Is it five hundred ninety nine yeah. miles? And, and why would anyone want to go to Amarillo? <laughs> so there we go. Because I, I got to you know get my Texas map out here. So you know Austin, I think, is about you know two hours away. So I go, okay, what about Baylor? And they go, eh, Waco. Well, if you go through the angle, and I go, what are you talking about going through the angle? I guess a little shorter. If you go through the angle, I mean, I, I don't know what that means, but you know, 
So Baylor, I, I wouldn't mind Baylor, even though, you know, they kind of upset me because they've been, you know, a lot of trouble lately. But anyway, uh, they said, yeah, it's like, you know, that's like four and a half, five hours or something like that. It's no good. Well, how far is San Antonio? Eh, San Antonio is about three hours. I go, isn't Houston near anything? They go, no, that's on the bottom. You know? So it's like. It's kind of near the Gulf. It's not too it's far the from Gulf. the Gulf. Yeah. If you go down to, what is it? Whatever. Galveston. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Because me, I know. When, Glenn Campbell. Yeah. Because I know when Houston got um, ravaged by the, uh, the the hurricanes in that years ago, when my brother still lived down there, he uh, he said that Galveston really got absolutely hammered down yeah. there. So a lot of people go to the, uh, if you're going to the beach or something, you go to Galveston, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking at nearby cities here as Numchuck brings up the map here. Uh, Sugarland, yeah, uh, yeah, Sugarland, Pearland. Now Sugarland, you might like because there's really? a minor league baseball team there. But why would I like minor league baseball? I'm going to watch major league baseball. Well, you, you know, it's just something different. <laughs> That's something. I got minor league baseball here. I mean, you're a sports fan. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's it's not even triple A. Well, actually, it, it might be triple A down there. I think Sugarland is. You're right. Yeah, That's, I think they're the the, they're the, the mosquitoes or the skeeters or something because they said the mosquitoes are so big down there that they actually named their minor league team after it. Mm-hmm. Which isn't a place that I necessarily want to go. <laughs> One of the reasons I was glad to get out of Illinois was because I don't get mosquito bites anymore. This is true. They so, liked my blood. I, I don't know what it was about my blood, but it was. Well, you love giving your blood too. So yeah, but not the mosquitoes. But uh, yeah, so I'll definitely have the food report for you. So a couple days. So yeah, the sandwich vacation back here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then uh, off to Houston on Thursday. So again, we'll, anybody has any suggestions food wise for me, please. Hit me up, TC Martin twenty one Twitter. Call the show. Let me know. I got a couple friends know. from Houston. Maybe I'll ask them yeah, for places that you can go down there. Well, Adam Joseph is is uh, supposed to be loading me up with a couple places. Okay, Our good yeah. friend from Opportunity yeah. Village because he's spent a lot of time in Houston. Well, I know a couple of people that uh, we used to work with Big Mex in that he, he he's from Houston. He still loves it down there. My brother yeah. lived in Houston for a while, yeah. you know, but he lived. I'd say the suburbs mm. or the outskirts of Houston, but Houston's so spread out. Mm. I don't know what is and isn't Houston. Right. I, I know the area. My brother lived like it seemed like we drove forever to get to the ballpark and where the Toyota Center is and all that sort of stuff. But it's all part. He still lived in Houston. So it's it's like the fourth largest city in the United States. And it's it is very, very spread out. Hey. It covers a lot of ground. You know what they got in Houston, though? They got Freddy's. Do they? Proud sponsors of the Astros, by the way. Oh, so yeah? you look at Minute Maid Park. They got the signage right there. There it is. Then they also got Whataburger, which I've never had a Whataburger. What about you? Uh, I think I had Whataburger once down in like maybe San Diego or something like that. They got they one down there too. Okay, I, I, it, but it's, it might have been something else. I don't remember. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, but I, I'm already starting to do some homework on on steakhouses and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go advice. I'm looking for advice. Now for you, I, I'd imagine that one of your things is you got to find a good place to get a good dog. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is a Houston dog like? I have no idea. Well, I'll tell you what it a Houston... might be an actual dog for t- all I know. I'll tell you what a Houston dog is. You ready for this? I did my homework on this. At the ballpark, you can appreciate this. Unfortunately, they don't have the Freddy's dog, but they have the Nolan Ryan cattle dog. Nolan Ryan has his own cattle company, his own meat company. And, uh, yeah, they say his hot dogs are pretty good. And I think it's Tuesday night, Dollar Dogs. And it's not just your garbage dog. It's a Nolan Ryan dog. All, right. well, hopefully, All beef. Hopefully they don't call it the Nolan Ryan dog because it runs you through you really fast. He's <laughs> <laughs> coming at you 101 miles per hour. You, know, you have the dog and then you're right up. Miss that inning. <laughs> you know, if that's the case, I hope it's a change up. Because you know? <laughs> Nolan Ryan had a pretty good fastball, but he did have, he had a miraculous curve as well. That's what I'm saying. That curve wasn't really slow either. And a tremendous slider. Yeah. There we go. But a lot, lot of heat with a Nolan Ryan. Well, then they should have Nolan Ryan sliders as well. There, there, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs>
Oh, man. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, as before we get into today's show, again, thank you to, to you, Clayton Hamilton, uh, Chris Wynn, for all f- filling in on uh, Thursday and Friday. Appreciate that. I'm sure uh, you're, you're going to go back to that bullpen or, or part of that bullpen this Thursday and Friday as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got to review the game film, right? You know, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like what the football coach said. We're not guaranteed Thursday and Friday is going to be here yet. You know, let's pump the brakes. <laughs> Pull the Kyle Shanahan on us, huh? I'm not Whoa. an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. Yeah. I'm a realist. He's noncommittal <laughs> is what he's talking about. There you go. It's going to be like 110 again on Thursday and Friday. All right. Well, there you go. You join us. You know, I'm here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And Frank and his mystery guests <laughs> yeah. Thursday and Friday. You're going to get that heat with humidity down in Houston. Yeah. Luckily, I'm going to ball games indoors, my friend. I'll be good. So, Minute Maid Park. Which is what they're going to have to do out here if they do get a stadium. It's got to have a retractable roof. Yes, for baseball, no doubt. Okay, uh, a lot to hit on today. Oh, hit on. Use a baseball thing right there. there I saw that. There's that. Uh, Matthew Holt's going to join us. Uh, we'll talk to Matt regarding uh, some, some Texas stuff with Texas-Oklahoma update. Officially, they have petitioned to go to the SEC. We'll follow up with him on that. Uh, not renewing their Big 12 TV deals. Plus, we've got Olympic stuff to talk about with Matt as well, too, from a betting side. Uh, USA women's soccer team eliminated uh, in the semifinals, could not beat Canada. Uh, game-winning goal uh, on a penalty kick in the 75th minute. Uh, as you know, the their their goalkeeper got injured. So Yeah, she got, got injured yeah. in the first half. Yeah. She actually tried to stay in the game. Had one free kick. As soon as she kicked the ball, she immediately waved to the bench, and they had to take her out. Yeah. I mean, she she was hurt, and it was pretty visible. So we got yeah a lot of Olympic news update. We'll talk more about Simone Biles. Uh, we'll we'll talk about Team USA on the women's side as well too. So we'll dive into that a little bit later. Uh, but coming up next, a very special guest, uh, Brett Rampkin. He's the director of the HBO documentary the weight of gold and i love the hbo documentaries you know how much i love real sports of course hard knocks is in the mix you know that's happening right now you know with training camp and everything but uh the weight of gold actually was released last year uh and it's back again now with the olympic games hbo max it is one of the best documentaries that really looks deep and focuses on the great olympians like michael phelps uh, apollo ono uh, Sean White and several others, and what happens after winning a gold medal, how quickly a lot of these athletes are forgotten. Uh, depression has set in, and many of these a- athletes are suffering mental illness. It's really kind of a, a look at the dark side of the Olympic athlete, and Brett Ra- uh, Rampkin did a fantastic job with this documentary. So we are going to talk to him when we come back, and a whole lot more. T.C. Martin Show on this marvelous Monday. Hello, I'm Stephanie. I'm from Germany. Yippee-yay-yo, Schweinebacke. When I'm in America, I'm listening to T.C. Martin Show. Michael Phelps is one of the fastest swimmers in the world. None of us had normal childhoods. I want to win. I knew it was the biggest stage that I would perform for in my life. Four Olympians. That's what defines you. Athletes have worked their entire lives for this moment. I wanted to do everything I could to be the best skater I could. Everything revolves around this sole focus, and that sole focus is the Olympics. And now the next 40 seconds will dictate our human lives. But after the Olympics, the village doors close, and that's kind of it. Win or lose, I felt a dramatic emptiness. 
we're just so lost. A good 80%, maybe more, go through some kind of post-Olympic depression. It's gold and then what? I didn't develop outside interests. I thought of myself as just a swimmer and not a human being. That's where I was just like, why don't I just end it all? From the outside, it's like you got everything. Athletes just don't talk about our weaknesses. That just cracks the facade. The mainstream media love building somebody up and then come crashing down. Depression puts you into a spiral. You just start getting deeper and deeper into it. He was my best friend. We have to do something. And this is important. Youth around the world watch and look up to these people. I'm giving my blood, sweat, and tears. And all I'm asking is that someone can help me get through this. We're human. I don't think I have to say anything else. That is uh, The Weight of Gold, HBO Max, streaming now, an amazing documentary focused on great Olympians, Michael Phelps, Jeremy Bloom, Lolo Jones, Bodie Miller, Apollo Ono, and many, many, Sean White and many others, what happens after winning a gold medal. And uh, joining us now is the director of this amazing documentary, uh, Brett uh, Rapkin. Brett, how you doing, my man? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. No, appreciate it. And uh, again, I'm a big fan, obviously, of of everything HBO and everything they do with real sports. And, you know, the hard knocks people here uh, always follow that because of, of the football angle. But uh, everything from a documentary standpoint uh, is usually so well done. And your piece here, The Way to Gold, is no exception, my friend. And I got to ask you, what inspired you to make this film? Yeah, it was a calling, you know, I mean... Uh... The project started out with just interviewing Stephen Holcomb, who was the captain of the Olympic bobsled team, active camp uh, captain at that time. And we shared uh, uh, an eye doctor here in Los Angeles who introduced us. And I really just planned on making a short a short film about him leading into the 2018 Winter Olympics. Um, and sadly, he um, he died uh, just a couple of weeks after our, our interview with him and and the project um, evolved from there. You know, Olympic time, uh, you know, America and the world really focuses on these games every four years. And really, this is kind of really the only time that people get a chance to know some of these athletes. I mean, you use Michael Phelps as an, an example. No one really knew much of him until the success that he that he had. And the same thing with, you know, guys like Bodie Miller and Winter Olympic, uh, you know, athletes, that sort of thing. And I can imagine, we've talked about this before, what is like for some of these athletes after those three weeks are gone. Now, if you have the success and you win multiple gold medals like a Michael Phelps, you, you're going to see you know, him on endorsement deals. You're going to see him in commercials. But for a lot of these athletes who work just as hard, who don't medal or don't even place, a lot of times we never hear from them again. And I, I imagine that you probably you know, found that you know, when you were putting this film together. Yeah, I mean, I really experienced that firsthand because uh, I traveled with, with Bodie Miller and the U.S. ski team the winter before the 2006 Olympics when he became a household name. 
Um, and, you know, the ski team does, like a lot of these sports, do a, you know, a World Cup season every winter, and they're competing against the same guys. And every four years, they just happen to take a break from their regular, regularly scheduled programming, as they say, and, and do this thing called the Olympics. So it was a really firsthand uh, account and experience of, of how much work and uh, goes into their day-to-day life that's outside of the Olympics. Brett Rapkin joins us, the director of The Weight of Goal. It is now streaming on HBO Max. And this was actually uh, released last year, correct? And then it, it you guys re-released it again? Yeah, so um, HBO picked up the film. It was originally produced you know, largely independently, and then HBO picked it up. Uh, and the plan was to release it around the uh, the Olympics last summer. Um, and when the Olympics were postponed, uh, we made the decision along with, with HBO to still go ahead and release it. Um, and, it, you know, it got a, a lot of attention and uh, had a lot of impact, which is what we're focused on doing here at Podium Pictures is working, you know, with athletes and through the power of sports storytelling to try to make the world uh, a little better place. Uh, but we never could have expected that it would have had the resurgence that it's had um, this summer. When it comes to these athletes like that, and you mentioned people focus on the Olympics, but they do go on every year. You know, there are the world championships in pretty much every sport out there. Has it changed a little bit for some of the athletes with the advent of, like, the Diamond League and track and field and different things where they can compete and be on a little bit bigger stage than they used to be? Or is it still just Olympics or bust for a lot of these people? I mean, there's nothing like the Olympics, the amount of of – money and, and exposure that, that the brands and, and NBC and, of course, the other broadcasters around the world put into it, you know, it, it's hard to think of anything else. Maybe the Super Bowl, um, although it's hard to imagine that has even the global impact of the Olympics. And that's every year instead of four. Every year instead of four, yeah. Um, I think one thing that's really changed for the athletes and, and is continuing to change, and, and certainly with what we're seeing with NIL and, and college sports is, is social media. I mean, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're Lolo Jones and you're, she's currently um, back into bobsledding, but if you're a fan of Lolo Jones, you can follow her every day on her own channels um, to the extent that she's able and, w- able and willing to create content and that you're interested in seeing it. So I see every athlete now has their own channel, and the only question is how they want to program it and monetize it on a day-to-day basis. It's pretty exciting. Brett, I know this was a long process for you, and like a lot of filmmakers, but this took you like around three years to complete, right? So and, and give us some details on you know where your travels took you to get this done. Yeah, it was, it was quite a process, as these you know, documentaries tend to be. Um, you know, I like there's, there's historical documentaries. You know, I did one about, say, the history of Dodger Town in Vero Beach, the legendary Dodger uh, training facility and that story was largely already told right so it was just a matter of getting the right people together and getting the right footage to do it i mean this film the weight of gold ended up becoming you know more like a living breathing in some ways you know cinema verite film as they call it i mean this thing happened in real time there were things that were revealed in the in the interviews with the athletes that took the film in, in completely new directions there were Athletes who, you know, would call and, and ask if they could participate um, because they, they wanted to tell this side of their story. 
that took things in a completely new direction. Yeah, it was a wild ride, but we, we were really grateful for where it landed on HBO, where, you know, you mentioned in your intro just how great HBO is. You have to give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, this is a this is a courageous film to put on. This is a film that was very honest and, you know, was not necessarily the most, uh, you know, endearing look at, at some of the organizations involved. And HBO just seems to really have a great um, track record of doing that, whether it's with these documentaries or real sports and as well as with some of their commentators. So hats off to them. So the weight of gold, it really focuses on these athletes and what happens after the Olympic Games, the depression, a look at mental illness, and kind of really the dark side of the Olympic athlete, right? Yeah, it definitely gives a a look at the Olympics and and Olympic athletes that hadn't been seen before. And, you know, I think with, with mental health being, I think you have to say the biggest story of the Olympics last week and I think it's we're seeing now that Simone Biles is going to compete in the the balance beam finals. I mean, what a what an incredible uh, ratings event that's going to be, uh, I believe, on Tuesday. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about about sports and about the Olympics that are more than meets the eye, so to speak. And and I'm glad we were able to to shine a light on that in the Olympic world. I know that in your documentary, you talk about some of the people that have won medals in that and kind of how hard it is. Is it just as hard or maybe even harder for some of the people that maybe went to the Olympics and had expectations of meddling and never even made it to that podium because an Olympian and sprinting or women's gymnastics and some of the sports, there is maybe only one shot at it. And is it even more difficult for them knowing that their dream is over and, uh, you know, they didn't achieve what they wanted to? Or is it tougher for the ones that did achieve it and then they realize that, hey, at this early age of my life, uh, I'm kind of done. The, the the best part of my life might be over already. Is that part of the depression part of it? Yeah, I think any athlete you'd ask if, if given the choice, they they'd love to go home with that gold medal. And I think one of the one of the more interesting things in the film is when you hear Apollo Ono, you know, the most decorated Winter Olympian of all time, um, talking about how, just how much the drop off in attention is between a gold and a silver. Uh, I mean, to go to the Olympics and win a silver medal is is such a, a rare and almost unthinkable achievement, but in, in the eyes of sponsors and a lot of the world, it's, it's as Apollo says, gold and then what? So, you know, one thing that I'm trying to talk about during this round of, you know, publicity for the film, which again has been very unexpected, it's pretty rare for a film to be talked about, you know, a year later, um, is just how I think a lot of this stuff applies to all of us. And you know, I think we live in a culture where it's very achievement based. Uh, and, and anybody who's basing their, their sense of self-worth or, or identity on external things like winning medals, let alone a gold medal, or what other people have to say about them, I think that's tough for all of us. And what these Olympians are, are going through and have gone through is it's not just an Olympic issue, it's a, a human issue. All right, Brett Rapkin joins us as the director of Weight of Gold, the documentary airing right now on HBO Max uh, streaming there. Brett, you mentioned the endorsement uh, angle of it here. And like we said, you know, a guy like Michael Phelps and even Lolo Jones, I mean, people that ha- have the success compared to those that maybe don't. When you were going back and, and looking at this, did you notice the discrepancy or the differences between the athletes that uh, – that are are doing well financially years after the Olympics compared to those that could be struggling? And, and what is the percentage of that? And, and give us some instances what, what to, you know, to tell our audience, you know, what you ran into with that. 
Yeah, I mean, forget years down the road. I think, you know, a lot of the Olympians that are right now in Tokyo are, are not in good financial shape. You know, I had the the expectation, and again, I had traveled with an Olympic team, you know, the U.S. ski team, um, for five, six months. I was embedded with the team and, and had a pretty unique experience. But, um, you know, for I had the expectation that, you know, you watch opening ceremonies and certainly there's people like Michael Phelps or, you know, Apollo or, or Bodhi or, you know, a bunch of the people that appeared in the film, Sean White, who are, who are doing extremely well, but that at least everybody had at least, I don't know, $100,000 coming in during the Olympic year. I mean, there's not that many people that are representing Team USA, and there's a significant amount of money coming in, billions. Um, but I was, I was dead wrong. Um, you know, these, these Olympians, a, a few of them are able to generate individual endorsements um, that are more than just, hey, here's some, some free Gatorade or some free, you know, sports tape, actual cash endorsements, uh, let alone amounts that can actually move the needle. But for most of them, they're living in, in either debt or at best breaking even. Um, there needs to be some real attention, more attention given to the way that the, the cash flows through the Olympic system because uh, the athletes are not, are not getting uh, anywhere near what they should be. When it comes to winning a gold medal, is there a certain time frame that somebody has a chance to cash in on that? I noticed Carissa Moore, the uh, surfer that won a gold, she's already in an endorsement doing a commercial, and, I mean, that's really good for her. Or does it matter maybe on the popularity of the sport in that? Is some sports maybe have a little bit more window where you can look at more of potential advertisers and you can pick and choose a little bit more? Because it seems like some that are really niche sports, it's like you better strike while the iron's hot. No, it's, it's a really small window. Um, I think, you know, if you look at, at Michael Phelps, who's an executive producer and, and narrator on The Weight of Gold, my one of my partners on the project, what he's been able to do uh, and, and, and will continue to do over the coming years is just extremely rare uh, in terms of being able to continue to, to monetize and, and get the sort of brand deals, um, you know, after he retires. There's you know, it, it's extremely rare and it needs to be more common. I mean, I think that I think athletes are still undervalued. I mean, you have the top one percent, but if you look at the other ninety nine percent, these are um, these are people with extremely strong followings. Again, social media is, is a huge thing. I know I'm getting a lot of my news and, and exposure to brands on social media, and you know, I'm encouraged to see what's going on with with college sports and I hope it expands to the Olympics in terms of the athletes being able to better monetize their, their own brands. You know, you interviewed so many different athletes, so many Olympians, you know, for this documentary, which one of these athletes really blew you away with their story or demeanor? And I know there's probably several here, but just, uh, did anybody kind of catch you like off guard? Like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick just one. I'd say all of them. You know, there, there's there's nobody in the film who who kind of doesn't fit under that category. I mean, I think, you know, with 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 Michael Phelps, and and I interviewed him twice for the film. Um, you know, his willingness to to not just talk about his own mental health challenges, which I think has been, um, you know, truly revolutionary. I think that if without Michael's uh, candid candor, I don't know that you have a Naomi Osaka or a Simone Biles necessarily, you know, using the term mental health to, to describe what they're dealing with. But for Michael to, um, 
you know, to share that he really felt the resources weren't there. Uh, I thought that was really courageous. And uh, I think, you know, took the film in, in a whole different direction. You know, all of these athletes, you know, Brett, are basically performing individual sports. Do you feel that it's more taxing on them because they're in these individual sports instead of part of a team? Maybe. I mean, I played baseball growing up. I played, you know, at the same high school as Ryan Braun from the Milwaukee Brewers and, uh, you know, pretty competitive level. And even though baseball might be considered a team sport, I've never felt more alone than, than I was in that batter, in that batter's box when I started facing uh, guys like John Garland who played for the Angels and they had that, that big biting hard curveball. I felt pretty alone, <laughs> even though it was a team sport. So um, I think it's pretty individual. Uh, it just depends who you're around. And I think one of the challenges uh, that they're dealing with in, in, in Tokyo is just they don't have the sort of support team there that, that they're certainly accustomed to because of the COVID restrictions. What do you think is one of the main reasons why some of these a- athletes fall into depression? You know, again, I think it, it relates to all of us. I think that, first of all, people are more comfortable talking about mental health today than they were five years ago or 50 years ago. And, and I think it's only going to continue to trend in that direction. It's like the genie is out of the bottle. I, I think that in years past, maybe our, our fathers or certainly our grandfathers generation, there wasn't, it wasn't as acceptable to talk about it. It wasn't as acceptable to, to get therapy or use medication. I think people have dealt with depression for a long time. They just buried it, um, you know, u- using alcohol or, or, other substances or, or activities to, to, you know, sweep it under the rug. Um, having said that, I think there are some things that people are dealing with today that are, are really unique. I think that, again, this culture I was mentioning before that's so hyper-competitive, um, where it's like, you know, it feels zero-sum game. With this pandemic, I mean, so many people losing their jobs. People are, are going to get evicted more and more um, as these moratoriums end. You know, living in a country here in the States where we don't have uh, national, you know, health insurance, that's a scary thing. Um, so I think those things also add to, not to mention the addiction to our phones and social media. It's a challenging time. With the Olympics being this year in 2021 because of the pandemic and everything else, the next Summer Olympics will only be in three years instead of four is there more of a chance for athletes to maybe compete in the next one than they would have if, you know, if it would have been four years in between? Because I know, like, Caleb Dressler, when they talked to him yesterday, and, of course, like uh, Phelps, he won the five gold medals and won Olympics, not three times like Michael Phelps did. But is there maybe a little bit more of a sense that, you know, there won't be as much, depre- as much depression because they will be having an Olympics a little bit sooner than normal? Maybe. I mean, I think... Let's see where the world is in three years. I mean, uh, you know, let's see. Let's let's get through this pandemic and 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 hopefully get back to you know some normalcy of life where you know these athletes can train. I mean, they, you talk about Katie Ledecky having to go find a, a private pool to train in. I mean, some pretty uh, some pretty unique uh, some unique experiences to what these athletes have had to do to to stay in shape uh, and and not only to stay. Uh, in physical shape, but to stay in the in the mental shape to be able to compete at this level. So, who knows where we'll be in three years? But you know, let's let's hope and let's work together to to try to be in a better place than we are today. All right, he is Brett Rapkin, the director of the Weight of Gold, addressing the challenges and personal detail, which uh, premiered in 2020 on HBO Max and is now back again. It is streaming now.
uh, on HBO Max. It's an amazing documentary. Brett, a fantastic job. And, uh, uh, you know, I highly recommend everybody get a chance to see this because uh, you did a fantastic job. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You got it. There he is. Brett Rapkin, the director of The Weight of Gold. Also, Michael Phelps is a, is a key contributor part of this, uh, you know, executive producer as well, too, and he's a narrator of this. So if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because when he said that, you know, there's gold and then there's everything else, there's a really good story going on, and I'm not sure everybody's heard it in this Olympics. In the high jump, the men's high jump, two guys tied. They all made all their jumps, and then they missed all three at the, at the final height. They could have had a jump off, but they're friends, and they said, no, can we get two golds? So they both actually are sharing the gold. One was favored over the other, but they said, if we can both get gold, let's do that. Because right. they didn't want that silver. Because let's face it, some people think of second place is just the number one loser. All right, check it out. The Weight of Gold, amazing documentary now available on HBO Max. When we come back, Matthew Holt will join us. We'll talk some more Olympics. Plus, we've got some uh, college football and NFL training camp to touch on. T.C. Barton Ballpark Frank on a magnificent Monday. Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham Smythe for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. 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 Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Hour number two on this Monday. Glad to have you here. Check everything out at tcmartinshow.com. Appreciate Brett Rapkin, the director of The Weight of Gold. It's a fantastic documentary on HBO Max right now. That'll be up on the interview page. Uh, we'll get everything else uh, caught up uh, later today as well, too. So all there for you. And uh, thanks to, again, Ballpark Frank and... Clayton Hamilton, Chris Wynn for filling in for me last Thursday and Friday. Appreciate that. And Clayton's excited now because he was really looking forward to the baseball competition, and it started last night, and it count. started off with a bang with Japan and USA. I have a feeling they might be facing each other again down the road. Yeah, and, uh, Japan defeating USA. And uh, not working out well for the American teams at all, except, of course, the basketball teams. And we know that you know the ladies' three-on-three, congratulations to Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young for bringing home the gold in the women's three-on-three. The American team did not even qualify for the Olympics. They decided not to go with NBA players, where the three-on-three women decided to go with the, N, uh, the WNBA players. But uh, we saw earlier today that the USA women's soccer team, uh, really arguably maybe next to the USA women basketball team, the most dominant of Olympic uh, you know, competition in years past, well, didn't happen. And they are eliminated. Team USA eliminated in soccer. Canada defeats USA one to nothing. Uh, game-winning goal and a penalty kick in the 75th minute. They failed to reach the gold medal game for the second consecutive Olympiad after reaching the gold medal game in the five previous Olympics. And it also snapped a 36-game unbeaten streak. And they haven't lost to Canada in 20 years. Last time was 2001. And when you look at this tournament, it just... I don't know about you, but it just seemed like 
this USA women's soccer team just never got going. You can probably blame the age, and people are going to be blaming the age. The average age of this team is 31. You've got people that are in their upper 30s you know, on this team. I think they were more concentrated on trying to preserve minutes, and you never had any team cohesiveness. The team chemistry wasn't good. And when you play like that, like Megan Rapinoe will go, we're going to you know, bring her in you know, off the bench and sub, and we're trying to manage minutes. It doesn't work out that way. And the other thing, too, is we know they have a, a target on their back, and they're going to get everyone's best shot. But you've got to be better than this because, I mean, they either scored one goal or no goals in, in several games. Well, not only that, but they got out to a terrible start. When they, Sweden shut them out, right? 3 nothing yep. in the first game. They all of a sudden looked vulnerable. You mentioned no chemistry, no cohesiveness. There also wasn't a fire under them. Exactly. There just wasn't any life. It looked like they were just going through the motions out there. Uh, the game against Australia, when they both knew, well, if we get a draw, it, it, that's all we need to get in the next round. Neither one of them played to win. You've got to go out there with that fire. That was a statement game that they could have gone out and said, we're going to beat them here and show, yeah, we know we're going to the next round anyhow, but let's really go ahead and make a statement and let other people fear us again. There was nothing to fear. They won the one game before this one in, a, in the penalty kicks at the end of regulation in the overtime and that, which, of course, they don't do in the in the regular games, uh, but once it starts with the knockout rounds and that, th- there was never any like sense of urgency or anything else. This team was completely flat, and it finally caught up with them. Even the New Zealand game, which was their second game after they lost 3-0 to Sweden, they, they did they added goals at the end, the last few minutes. New they, Zealand scored two of themselves. Exactly. They had two own goals. Exactly. So they, you're right. They looked... Tired. They looked non-energetic. There was no joy in this team, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stories coming out here in the next few weeks. And they're going to talk about, well, you know, yeah, we just, you know, didn't have the love of the game. We didn't have it, and this and that. But uh, you know, maybe they played better teams too here because, unlike a lot of these Olympic teams, we talked about this last week too. Some of these teams came in here without playing any exhibition games because of COVID. USA played like five, six games, but they didn't play very good teams. And, you know, when you're facing teams like Sweden and even Canada, who's much better now, you know, it seems like they they got better competition here and they just failed against them. It was it was very lackluster, very disappointing. And you know what's going to happen now? I mean, you know, they're going to go youth movement, just like we've seen the German team do in the men's side and some of these others. I mean, when you lose in embarrassing fashion, and this is embarrassing fashion, to not score goals and to lose to Canada one nothing in the semifinal, and your favor to win the gold medal. I mean, you've you've got to perform better than this. And yeah, maybe that is the problem that they went too old here and they tried to be too conservative with some of these these minutes. I, I look for a major turnaround here, a major turnover, and, and go youth movement from here on out. Well, I think they need some kind of major turnover and, and turnaround. They, they definitely need to do something because, like we said, there's, there's a lot of questions in this team right now, and I don't think they were nearly offensive enough. They weren't aggressive. They laid back. It almost seemed like, roll the ball out. We're the USA. We're going to win. But after the Sweden game to start this Olympics off, nobody had an intimidation factor. Maybe New Zealand did a little bit. But even Australia, Australia's not that good. They didn't trounce New Zealand. 
They had a draw with them, 0-0. That's not the way to get in anybody's head and going, oh, we have to play the USA. They go, hey, we get to play a beatable USA team out here. Canada at halftime walking off that field looked like we got the better opportunities and we know that their number one goalie's out. When they were walking off the field at halftime, I thought this is going to be a tough game for the USA. And it was, and they lose one nothing, eliminated in the semifinals. All right, let's bring in our good friend Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. Matt, what's going on, my friend? TC, you're talking about that Canada upset, uh, plus 450. That's the number you could have got on wow. team pull the upset in regulation. Wow. Well, look at that. And USA, heavy favorites. I mean, and really all of the team sports. And we see it in the men's and the women's basketball. We, we saw it in soccer as well, too. And uh, the, the dogs came barking. And we go back to that first game that we talked about with Sweden. Sweden was a big dog against uh, Team USA in soccer, too. Absolutely. And you're right, we are seeing some big, you know, basketball is kind of the one area we are seeing the big spread still. USA, uh, a 15-point favorite over Australia on the women's side in their next game. And on the men's side, a 12.5 to 13-point favorite over France uh, tonight. All right. So USA-France, which they've already played, you know, that was that was their opener, and now they're going to go again, right? It's actually Spain tonight. I'm Spain, sorry. that's right. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because, yeah, so the Spain tonight, and then they get into the knockout round, and uh, that's where, you know, Team USA, the, the women are right now, and you, and after tonight's game against Spain, that's where the, the men go. No, I think it's knockout round for both. I think we're quarterfinals for both now. Okay, well, I know that, the, the yeah, you're right, because the, te- the USA women were wa- awaiting their opponent to see who they were going to play after their their victory over, over France, their 11-point victory uh, yesterday. So they were waiting to see who they're going to play. And like you said, now I, I believe uh, that has been announced that it's going to be Australia, correct? Yes, and USA is a 15-point favorite. And I think the bracket sets really sets up really well for them to win gold. If they win, they'll get the winner of a pick a match between China and Serbia. And they won't have to face France or Spain until the final. And we've got to give a shout-out to our girl, Asia Wilson. 22 points in, uh, in, in the game against France, where the USA improved to 3-0 in pool play. 93-82, uh, Asia really has looked like the best player on this team. And for the reigning MVP, you know, you know, only you know, three years as a pro, uh, you know, Las Vegas Aces fans very, very excited about what they're seeing with her. And it'll be interesting to see the betting handle on this. So tonight we have the men's at about 9.45 p.m. Pacific time. Tomorrow night we have the women's at around 9.45 p.m. Pacific time. It'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see how the betting handle on both of these games do. The betting handle on basketball has pretty much far exceeded every other sport in the wagering, uh, at least in the wagering realm during these Olympics. That time zone difference is having a huge effect on betting because most of the televised coverage people are watching isn't actually happening live because of, you know, it's in the middle of the night over here. And thus, if people can't watch it, they don't tend to bet on it. And I think you uh, universally here across not just Nevada, but throughout all the states with regulated sports betting, what we're seeing is a fairly disappointing Olympic wagering in terms of expectations, especially on sports like soccer and tennis and golf, which are historically huge numbers and big, huge global sports. Those really haven't done very well. The only one that has is basketball, so it'll be interesting to see what the wagering handles like tonight 
for the men, tomorrow night for the women. Well, you you bring up the time factor, man. I think that's that's crucial. That's key. But. Really, it's got to be the familiarity, you know, aspect too. I mean, you know, people are, are familiar with the men's basketball team. They're familiar with these NBA players. They're familiar with these WNBA players, and it's something that I think that people feel they can handicap better because you feel like, okay, we know these guys, and even the foreign players, especially on the men's side, you know, people that bet basketball, they feel like, okay, I got a little bit of edge. But if you're doing some of these other sports, they're going like, hey, I don't watch this ever at all, but yeah, I need to force a little action here. So it makes sense that they handle would be for the premier sports like basketball yeah absolutely i think you're right i think we're seeing less and less coverage on the non-mainstream olympic sports and thus there is no familiarity with these athletes we're not given an opportunity to know them get to know them hear the stories about them ahead of time and then because to your point events are in the middle of the night those feel-good stories they run right before an event starts where you could slide some bets in no one's watching those at 3.30 in the morning, and thus the wagering isn't coming in directly after. You mentioned the fact that they were expecting maybe a little bit more betting on the golf and the tennis. Is one of the reasons that maybe that hasn't been what they're, besides the time change, the fact that it hasn't been the biggest names out there? You know, in the golf, it wasn't like a household name here in the United States. And in tennis, we saw Djokovic not even, you know, he can't get the Golden Slam. He didn't even get the bronze. And Belinda Bencic winning on the women's side, you know, it's not like Osaka or somebody else did that. So even the names that they do know a little bit weren't around in the medal game. That has to have a huge impact on it, Frank, because at the end of the day, if if you would have had Djokovic in the finals, I think there would have been in the gold medal match for tennis, I think there would have been a lot more interest. It just wasn't there, as we saw Zeverev, the big favorite, win it. But he's not a household name in the U.S., and and his opponent in the gold medal match certainly wasn't. So I, I think that's played a huge part of it. The athletes themselves, the premier athletes across the world, don't seem to as excited to participate in the Olympics. And when they do, they're not taking it as serious. And here's another thing, too. When we talk about those sports like tennis and golf, it's like those are going to be wagered on and still nowhere close to what we're going to see in the major sports, the team sports and that sort of thing. But you know when Wimbledon's coming, you get excited about it, the U.S. Open, uh, whether it's golf or, or tennis in that matter, and you know on your calendar you're locked in for that. Nobody, including myself, you know, don't know when the, the, the golf competition or the tennis competition is during this two and a half, three weeks of, of Olympic play, except for Frank, of course. Who's, I, you know, I watch yeah, tennis but, every night but, on the Olympic okay, channel. But you are not the norm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, de- and you're not even really a better. But you're saying it is impossible because I know people, including myself, say, I didn't know that. I thought, you know, because there's no lead up time. In, in in a regular environment, it's like we know this is going to happen. We prep ourselves for it, and, and we're, we're caught off guard. And then we throw in the factor of 3.30 in the morning, 9.30 in the morning. We have no idea. I mean, no one could even tell me what day the men's 100-meter final is going to be or when, you know, two weeks ago they could say, hey, that uh, gold medal match for golf is going to be on this day at what time. Right, Matt? Yeah, Absolutely. It is hard to prep. I do think they, again, to your point, they've done a bad job in the lead-up. I mean, there just hasn't been this build-up of when the events are going to happen, promoting who's in those events and why people should care. All right, Matthew Holt joins us from uh, U.S. Integrity. Matt, when it comes to these Olympics, and we've talked about some of the team sports in that, 
Is there has there been any interest, or is there even betting available on the different track and field events and things like that? Or because of the time change, and because, like you mentioned, with so many heats and so many other things, it's like it's almost impossible to even make lines on it. So I'll give the books credit. They went out there, and and if you look at most of the major books in the country, they put odds on almost everything: rowing, archery, track and field. All these events have odds, and and if they don't have it at the book that you play at most, shop around at a couple of books in whatever state you're in. Here in Nevada, there's at least a handful of different books, at least five or six different ones that are offering wagering on almost every single event. So if if you want to wager, the books have taken all the time and effort to put up odds, manage the start times. There just hasn't been the interest from the casual better. All right, Matt, let's uh, visit a topic that we, we talked about last week with you, and it was uh, breaking news at the time about the Texas-Oklahoma situation. And now they've officially petitioned to the SEC to join them. They set their letter to Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. Uh, they've said, hey, we're not going to renew our Big 12 TV deal, paving the way for these two powerhouses to go to the SEC. You painted the picture about you know, the conferences that, we, that we're seeing now could really go by the wayside and, and you know, have the big turnaround. What's transpired here in the last week as we're knocking on the door just three weeks away from basically opening weekend of college football? So this year's college football, obviously, it's not going to have the same have any effect this year. These schedules are already set, but I can't wait, TC, for there to be four 16-team super conferences. Because for the first time, maybe ever in the history of college football here in the U.S., betters and fans are going to have a very clear picture of whether or not their teams make the playoff. It's going to be simple. Two eight-team divisions in each conference. You win your side. You win your division. You go to the conference championship game. You win the conference championship game. You go to the final four, which is the playoff. It's going to be that simple. It's actually going to be a win-your-way-to-a-championship system, which is what everybody asked for. And for those people who are out there saying, well, you know, what about the Cincinnati's and the Hawaii's? And you never gave them a shot anyway. Every time they went undefeated, you didn't put them in any playoffs. You didn't put them in any championship. They were playing for nothing. Those undefeated seasons went nowhere. They were never allowed to play for a championship, unlike in basketball. So it's about time that we just say, hey, call it what it is. There's 68 teams in the country that can compete for a college football championship, and here they are, and they're in four major conferences, and everybody else can play for a separate championship. And it's going to give more betting options because it's going to allow you to bet on the power conference champion and the sub-power conference champion, whatever they decide to call themselves. It's more futures betting. It's more betting in general. It's more interest to college football. Now you could root for Boise or root for Hawaii or root for Cincinnati because they will actually be able to win a championship in whatever division they're in. I can't wait for it to happen. They've been trying to do it for years. It's funny that it was Texas that stalled this out several years ago because when they were about to break up the Big 12 and they were down to eight teams and Texas said, whoa, 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 we make so much money off the Longhorn Network, we don't want to give this up and and go to the SEC or the Pac-12, and they nixed the idea, and now it's Texas leaving that inevitably is going to spell the end to the Big 12.
You know, Matt, it's also kind of funny and in a way ironic, too, how, you know, people thought so many teams in the NCAA basketball tournament was too many. Now you take the four power conferences in football with 16 teams each, and it's going to be basically the same numbers as the basketball tournament has. So it's it's almost like the basketball and football are now in sync. Yes, and it's a win your way to a title. Uh, you know, you win your division, then you win your conference championship game, and then you, you win two more games against the champions of other conferences, and you're the champion. So nobody can ever say, hey, this team didn't get a shot to play for the championship. You will win it on the field, and that's all we ever asked for as fans. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some bullet holes uh, into this this picture here. First of all, we haven't even touched upon, you know, again, you know, the the tradition and the proximity and, you know, people don't like that. I don't like that. And this is going to really make that even more of a mess. And I guess, like I said, from a betting standpoint, I guess you can say, okay, who cares? You know, but again, there are those traditionalists and there's people in the university system that want to keep those rivalries and keep, you know, the proximity. They don't want to see, you know, a, a team that's 2,000 miles away in the same conference as, as somebody else. But, I don't. Is it really that clear cut, Matt? Because if you're going to have these super conferences, the biggest thing with the NCAA is like, well, we never wanted to expand it past two. Then we're going to go to four, and they still have not said that we're going to go beyond four. And they've always said we don't want to get into playing 14, 15, 16 games. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in this scenario that that you're you're painting here, that this is going to go. Aren't we, aren't we getting into that where you're going to have more games to play, uh, you know, leaking into a later championship game, and not everyone does get a chance to play because those Boise States and Central Floridas, if you were going to include them in these conferences, and then if they beat these teams, I would say they have a fair shot. But they're not going to you know, be good with, like, okay, we're still a D1 team, just like Michigan, but Boise State's D1, Central Florida's D1, Hawaii's D1, but you want to have a D1 championship and we're not even going to get, you know, you're saying we've got to go in a, in a sub-D1? None of that makes any sense. Well, it's going to happen, though. And at the end of the day, it's going to be the same amount of games. Because right now, what happens when Alabama wins a championship? That means they played in the big the SEC championship. That's their 13th game. Then they have to win the two games in the playoff. That's game 14-15. In this system, you know, you'll have two division winners from each conference play each other. So game 13 will be the conference championship. The conference champions, the four conference champions all play games 14 and 15 so i still think the winner is still going to play 15 games just like it is now so the games equation doesn't hold any water because it is what it is it's the same exact number of games that they're going to play now and again for the ucs and boises they should be happy granted it's a sub d1 title they'll be playing for right now they don't have a shot at winning the title even when they go undefeated they're not allowed to participate (laughs) But there's that hope for those guys. There's that hope that they go 12 and 0, and if they schedule and and if they knock somebody off in non-conference. Now, if we're going to get to this this power formula, what is that going to do? Does this mean the Alabamas and the and the Florida States are they still going to play the Bethune Cookmans? I mean, those guys need the, you know that money, and these guys want their little tune-up games. I just don't see how you're going to expand games without having to cut some of these other games because the NCAA doesn't want us to start in mid-August, and they definitely 
don't want to play, you know, uh, beyond the, the, the first or second week of December for, you know, regular season games. Yeah, I, I do think the the lower pay for play teams, the Bethune Cookmans, the the little sisters of the poor, they're they're going to there could be some collateral damage here. But at the end of the day, look, I I don't want to see SEC teams playing two of these games a year, two of their three non conference games. We want to see competitive football games that matter. TV ratings say that's what fans want to see. Betting handle says that's what fans want to see because nobody bets or watches Florida State versus Bethune-Cookman or, you know, uh, Alabama versus Colgate. They don't watch those games. They don't bet on those games. It's bad for TV. It's bad for sports books, who, by the way, TV and sports books are sort of becoming symbiotic with each other. So let's have more competitive football games. And if at the end of the day that means that Bethune-Cookman has to find another way to fund their football program, unfortunately that's the reality of it because uh, at the TV no longer wants to pay for Alabama versus Bethune-Cookman. So with the scenario that it is now, if all four of these conferences go to 16 teams, how competitive is it for these teams right now that are on the outside looking in to try to get into those conferences that still have openings and what are the most likely teams going oh boy i think it's super competitive frank and i think you have a lot of cities and i'm hearing that there's a lot of schools in major cities making their case now the memphises the houston's hey look at us houston we're in a top 40 media market they're making their case you know, the Iowa's, the Kansas, you know, Kansas, everyone talk, thinks about Kansas as a college basketball powerhouse, but they're not exactly a money generator in football. Where do they end up? Do they end up in the Big Ten? Does the Big Ten take a shot because of that basketball tradition? Well, you know, if you're Kansas, you're out there pushing Bill Self, you're pushing the basketball, you're pushing March Madness and its popularity. If you're Houston or one of those programs, you're saying, hey, look what we've done in the AAC, look how competitive we are you know Cincinnati are they a big enough market yeah it's going to be a, it's going to be a beauty competition at the end of the day unfortunately nobody wants to admit it but this is a Miss America pageant to see who gets those last seven remaining spots all right uh, can hardly wait to college football this year unchanged but again this will be a big part of the discussion speaking of college football Matt a quarterback uh, Quinn Ewers the number two prospect in the 2022 class says he's foregoing his senior high school season. Got to get into pro. Got to be a Buckeye. High school season because he's going <laughs> to enroll at Ohio State. Even though he was committed to go to Texas, hook him horns, he says, nah, I'm out of there. I can make more money on my NIL deal, my name, image, and likeness deal, if I go to Ohio State. Here we go. It's already happening. The trickle-down theory, this kid is saying, eh, I'm not going to play my senior year of high school because I'm enrolling at Ohio State, and he's going to be eligible to play this fall. And he's also, from what I've read, with Ohio State's quarterback crop right now, he will be number one on the depth chart. So he's he wants to go there because he will start immediately, even though he should be a senior in high school. Okay, Matt, fix this problem, please. Would you? Come on. I'm not sure he's going to start this fall. I would actually make him an underdog to do that. Uh, but there's no doubt he will make a tremendous uh, upside by, with the NIL by going to Ohio State. This is part of the NIL sort of backlash that people probably didn't think of when they were putting it into effect. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, yeah, he committed to the Longhorns, and, but decommitted you know, back in October. 
and is going to Ohio State as a high schooler. You mean sometimes people actually think these things out before they put stuff in effect and they don't just throw them up there? Because it doesn't seem that way in a lot of the decisions in the world today. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. That. I don't know that this one was thought out all that clearly. But there was definitely a grassroots push to get these athletes paid. And when you, when you push it through this quickly, then it's hard to really – realize all the cause and effect issues of it and here we go here's one of them all right final thing for you man uh, mlb deadline uh, came and went a lot of activity the chicago cubs just decided to just uh disassemble their team altogether. disassemble yeah gone <laughs> uh you know rizzo's with the yankees you know Baez is over with the mets chris, chris bryant. bryant with the giants did you get to see him i got to see him <laughs> hit his home run yesterday craziness so there you go what do you make of all this man I'll tell you a few teams that people have really started to back heavily after the trade deadline. No, trade deadline number one, the New York Mets. Now, I didn't think Javi Baez was that big of a deal for the Mets, but all of a sudden there's a lot more Mets backers than we saw prior to the deadline. Uh, the L.A. Dodgers, who you know, again they're still tied or basically you know right behind the San Francisco Giants. Yet the trade for Trey Turner and the arms that they got, we are seeing a ton of love for the Dodgers. Not really on expected there and another one is the toronto blue jays look that jose barrios trade sort of went under the radar with so many big moves that all these other teams made but we saw a direct cause and effect after the barrios trade a lot of money coming in on the blue jays at odds of around 35 to 1 or better you look around now they're already down to about 20 to 1 Hey, I want to throw this in real quick, too, because I saw this earlier today, and I thought it was a classy move by Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant did give uh, credit to the Cubs organization, said that they went to each individual player asking them where a good fit for them were and would also help out the team, obviously, but that they did go to each individual player trying to make transitions as smooth as possible. I think that's got to bode well for the Cubs down the road as far as players maybe wanting to go there or free agency or something when they try to build a winner again. But nice that Chris Bryant brought that to the forefront and nice to see that the Cubs actually took the players' thoughts into the consent when they were making these moves. The Cubs, and I, I do think you're right, that probably will hold some goodwill in future free agents. Unfortunately, though, they didn't get the prospect haul that many people thought they should. You know, everyone said they should have got Joey Bard. It was on the table and for San Fran for Bryant. They ended up getting two inferior prospects and not getting Bard as part of that deal. I don't know. It, feel, it feels like they were an elite prospect short in a lot of those deals. The Rizzo deal, the Chris Bryant deal, not getting Joey Bart there. Um, I'm glad they piled up some goodwill because they didn't pile up the best prospects. All right. He is Matthew Holt, uh, U.S. Integrity, keeping a, a watchful eye on the betting side. Everything side, I should say there. Okay, my man. We'll let you go. We appreciate the time as always, and uh, we look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, guys. Best of luck. Take care. All right, there it is. And uh, we start to look into these handicapping contests, too, because this is a very popular time of year where people are now starting to enter the football contests, the various casinos. Everybody is uh, jumping in with that now. We have new properties that are up in the ante with more, you know, a pay-for-play type of uh, uh, handicapping tournaments with the large entry fees. So we'll dive in with, uh, with Matt next week on that.
Yeah, and boy, the football contests, they're just crazy out here. I mean, there's so many of them in that it's hard to even keep up with them all. But, uh, yeah, very competitive in that field. And some are free for people, and there's a zillion people in those. And then some, there's still pretty good numbers for the ones that are pricey as well. And it seems to me that part of that is also almost as much as bragging rights and put it on your resume. But uh, yeah. it is very competitive, and then sometimes you have to look at the the names that the people give their different things and try to figure out, well, who the heck is that? Yeah. I don't know. This this whole superpower conference thing is, is got me twisted. And, again, the dominoes are going to fall. When you have a Texas or you have an Oklahoma who is leaving a, contras, a conference that is pretty much been longstanding, you know, the Big 8, there was the Big 8, there was the Big 12. And, you know, for those of us that are old enough, we still remember – you know, Texas being in the Southwest Conference with Arkansas, and that was pretty good. So they've been Longhorn standing. Absolutely (laughs) correct. But it's like you probably really could have made the Southwest Conference work. You could have hung with that in both football and basketball. But, you know, it's that was the beginning. That was really the beginning of all this. And then now you're having two big-time programs saying, you know what, we don't like you, we want to go to the SEC. Never in anyone's wildest dreams would you predict a Texas or an Oklahoma going to the Southeastern Conference. And I don't know if this helps them from a basketball perspective. Because from a basketball perspective, the Big 12 is much better than the SEC and has been for quite some time. Do you think that maybe they're thinking, like, well, our basketball program is even going to be more dominant in the SEC? Maybe they think, hey, football is what drives it. And I know you said two teams. But it seems to me, at least my gut feeling is, it's all been driven by Texas. And Matt even mentioned, Texas kind of held this back because they had this opportunity. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about doing it a while ago. It seems like Oklahoma is just along with, whatever you do, we're with you. We'll be the other one. But it seems like Texas has really kind of held all the cards. And now they're saying, yep, we're ready to make that move. Yeah, they're ready to make the move. Again, they have their own network. I mean, no different, like, say, the Notre Dame's you know, deal with NBC. And, you know, the University of Texas built their own network, Longhorn Network. I don't know how profitable it is, and if that's you know done any good. BYU has done the same thing. I don't know how you know how profitable their network is, but it, it's about joining a conference that where you can make more money, have a little bit more exposure, and you're going to get that with football. But when you look at basketball, sure, they'll they'll be a top team in the SEC from basketball, but the TV deal is not that lucrative in basketball. The TV deal for SEC football. It's the biggest. It's the best. It's CBS. You know, every Saturday you're going to get that. And now as this conference expands, now you're having maybe less visibility, you know, for some of these teams where before, I mean, forget, you know, Vanderbilt ever having a shot to get on the, the marquee Saturday Vanderbilt afternoon game. Vanderbilt is just along to get that conference paycheck that, every that's year. That's it. But, the, you know, a lot of these other teams when, you know, uh, teams like, say, Texas, uh, you know, as far as SEC goes, I mean, you look at teams like Missouri, they're never going to get, you know, those games, you know, anymore. I mean, it's going to be Alabama, it's going to be Florida, it's going to be Georgia, and now it's going to be Texas and Oklahoma in a couple of years down the road. They're going to dominate that Saturday afternoon time slot. And then, sure, subsidiary-wise, you're going to go to ESPN, and they'll probably have a, a Saturday night game, but it, it's, it's just totally different. But when you go to basketball season, the SEC television deal – with ESPN and their own network, the SEC network, it's really not that lucrative. 
in comparison to what they're getting in football. Well, and you brought up one other team, too, there, and because some of the independents, like a Notre Dame or something like yeah. that, who's in a conference of basketball but not in football, are they still in the mix for this, or is it the four power conferences? Is Notre Dame going to be forced now to join one of the four power conferences to be in this mix? It would have to be the Big Ten, and why they didn't make that move is ridiculous way back when, because you get everything. You, you get the 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 trap or rather the proximity you get the rivalries they've already have rivalries with with all, with, with Purdue with Michigan with Michigan State right absolutely yeah it, it's, it's like every, the, the joke in 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 uh, Notre Dame every year is like well we're the Big Ten champs because we beat all these teams right. outside of Ohio State they play the best in the Big Ten year in and year out right and I'm curious to see too and I don't think this will happen maybe with Oklahoma it could do a little bit because I think Texas is a little bit stronger program. But when they go to the SEC, will they be as dominant, or will they go, maybe this wasn't a big move? Again, I'm old enough to remember. I remember when Penn State and then Nebraska joined the Big Ten, and it was like, Big Ten's in trouble now. Penn State's going to win every year. How often do they win in football and that sort of stuff? You know, it's like when you're part of a conference and you can't put two cupcakes before a main course Mm -hmm. every time, it's more difficult. And even some of the teams that maybe aren't as good, they might have that little rivalry thing or something against you. I'm curious to Mm -hmm. see – how they do in that conference. It hasn't worked. For, I mean, we can go right down the gamut. I mean, look at Texas A&M. They wanted to jump over the SEC. They haven't won anything in the SEC. And again, they're, they're still far behind. And you look at Texas right now. Texas hasn't been relevant as far as, you know, winning championships for for several years. They've gone to, what, through three coaches in the last, what, what, six, seven years? Vince Young. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's right. So Texas going to the SEC, they'll be the fifth best, best team. It may be at best, fourth or fifth or sixth best team. So, and AM still hasn't cracked that. I mean, you're talking about, you know, recruiting, you know, lines and all that sort of thing. And you look at those teams like Maryland and Rutgers going to the Big Ten. It's laughable. Nebraska, that's laughable. I mean, Iowa's been in there forever. Occasionally they'll be pretty good, but they're not, not knocking down the door of, of knocking off Michigan or Ohio State anytime soon. Penn State, perfect example. Like you said, it's like people thought that. No, basketball, totally forget about it. And football, not so much. Yeah, f- football, they're no. kind of like, okay, if, if you beat Penn State, you can challenge for the conference title. If you don't, then you're not. Yeah. You know, Penn State has been more or less like that stepping stone, like that fighter who's getting title fights or is just one away from it, but he's kind of the borrow to see if you're a legitimate right. contender or yeah. not. That's kind of what Penn State, and, and there's been exceptions where they've had better seasons, but for the most part, ever since they moved to the Big Ten, They've been uh, also ran yeah. a ho-hum. Same thing with Colorado and Utah. Yeah, Utah has is, is been decent, but no, they're, they're not winning championships in Colorado. And they, why'd they make the move? You know, for more money. But as far as winning championships, forget about it. So yeah. it, it, it doesn't work. You know, when these teams go, it, as good as they are in their own conferences, it's like people talk about, oh, Boise State's going to end up in, in the, the Pac-12. Really? I mean, and, and that's where, where are they going to be? And that's interesting, too, because the Pac-12 has come out. Now, maybe they'll be forced to change, but they've kind of said, we have no desire or need to expand to 16 teams. Mm-hmm. Well, if everybody else is, and that's kind of the pressure being put on you, are, are we yeah. going to see conferences expanding when they don't want to? It's got to be unified. You know, someone at the top of the, the college football chain has got to say, this is what we're doing, like they do in basketball. 
And, and then we can have a legitimate conversation. But it's been absurd for quite some time now with the formula of who gets into the playoff, who doesn't, the conference realignments, all that stuff. And now with Texas and Oklahoma jumping to the SEC, it, it's going to get even you know, more weird, more crazy. And I don't think that there is going to be an instant guarantee like, like Matt is, is saying it's going to be. And the other thing that it's going to get is more confusing. Totally. I can't stand it. <laughs> can't stand it. All right, uh, we come back. We'll hit you with some more Olympic news. NFL training camp as well on this Monday. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. In. All right, we are smack dab in the middle of NFL training camp. Raiders doing their thing in Henderson. Just think, man, a couple weeks away from exhibition football. But at least we only get three of them this year. That's a good thing. All right. 17 new, games. Uh, still can't get used to that either. What's your record? Everyone's like, hey, we're going to be 12 and 4 this year. Maybe we go 14 and 2. Eh, 10 and 6. Hopefully 8 and 8. What? Now we've got to start factoring the 17. So do the math. Now we got to be what you want to be. We're going to be an eleven and six team this year. Wow. Well, we 17? know one thing yeah. for sure: if the Raiders are five hundred once again, they're going to have a tie in there. <laughs> the The term five hundred is now eliminated. It's over the top rope. Well, unless you have a tie, you could have a tie. You could be eight, eight, and one. But does that really make you five hundred? Do it, the, it should. It doesn't. I don't think it does because it if should. you do the math. It's not. I'll tell you why. Mathematicians out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but you divide the number of wins by the total amount of games. You're playing 17 games. You're not 500 anymore, my friend. You are less than 500. 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one would be like 478. Help me out here. Come on, calculators. You, you get a half a point for it. Or you get a point for it. You get no points. There are no points. What do you think? Is this soccer? Well, sure you do, because if you go by the schedule and you go by the... You, you could win the division by that half game. But you don't get a, you don't get a point like... Well, it's not point it's not like a, a soccer match or something, but it's, no. yeah, but it's, it's still... In, in the standings, it's, it's like a half game. Right. But you're not a 500 team. You agree with that? But a half is, <laughs> is 50%, so that makes you 500. Depends on how... You, we're, you know, apples and oranges. You know, how they, get five, you know how they get 500? Eight divided by 16. 500. Well, that would be, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, how they calculate and when you see in the, your new, well, the owners ev- newspaper. Well, the owners eventually want to make it 18 anyhow, so, I mean, that's what they're they pushing get there towards. already, all right? Get there, this odd number of games. Well, they're like the Goofball. football championship series, you know? They, they mosey on along. The NFL is supposed to be getting it done, getting it done right. You but know? They, they have to keep on adding games to the NFL, or else college football is going to be playing more games than them. How many fans are going to be wearing... Masks at the football games. Well, uh, there's probably gonna, there's there's there should be a mandate that every one of them has to. Now, what about an outdoor football game? Right now, it's say Lambeau Field, Soldier Field. Well, I, I don't. It, it's state by state and county by county, so I don't know. They, they okay. might even even in an indoor arena. They, we didn't see it in the Bucks championship games. Fans didn't have to wear masks, but here in Vegas, they do. Mm-hmm. It depends on where you're from. So it's not just indoor outdoor. It's where you're at. What if UNLV goes back to Sam Boyd Stadium to play a game against Louisiana Monroe? Got to wear a mask outside, but then UNLV's got a game next week indoors against Arizona State. 
What happens? Well, right now there's not a mask. I'm, 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 asking you, I'm asking you like you're the governor. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> governor Harnish, tell me what's happening here. Uh, well, my uncle was the mayor uh, of Algonquin, so that's I, close I mean, enough. So. I've been gone a few days. I don't know what's happening here. Uh, there's there's a mask mandate. I'm just getting yelled at because I walk in the building without my mask. You're not fully vaccinated. I know I went to Red Rock Station the other day on Friday, and there is a big sign there that says, Mask for Everybody vaccinated and unvaccinated people so not just workers but anybody who's going into the facility as far as i know the mask mandate is for any indoor activities or indoor facilities all right with last week's updated guidance issued from the cdc saying fully vaccinated individuals no longer need to wear masks in most situations the green bay packers have updated the covid 19 protocols for visitors to lambeau field and Titletown. The organization is no longer requiring that masks be worn by visitors who have been fully vaccinated. There you go. Live it in Wisconsin. The sound of reason. Go, Pat, go. Yeah, the sound of a super go spreader. Bears! <laughs> <laughs> they sound like Christina Madison. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, again, it's you know, it's uh, there's different theories on it all over the place. I still think they're making this stuff up as they go along, and I think that's one of the reasons that there's so much confusion and there's so many people that aren't buying into it because it seems like every week or every other week they're saying masks are good, masks are bad. The CDC says this, the World Health Organization says this, California says this, Wisconsin says this, Las Vegas says this. I mean, it's th- there is no continuity. There's no consistency in any of it. I know. It's absolute insane. Well, do you want to wear a mask or not? Well, people used to look up and see what time zone places are in to see where where they're going or whatever. Look up and see what the mask mandate is. I know years ago when I used to ride a motorcycle, sometimes I'd look and see what states had helmet laws and what mm-hmm. states didn't. Because I hated wearing a helmet. Still hate wearing a helmet. Wear a helmet. Protect yourself. Man. Nah, it messes up my hair, man. You Gives know. me helmet hair. Just think, man. If you were if you were wearing the helmet while you were driving your your car, you wouldn't have been in the accident. If I was wearing my helmet in my car, first off, I'd look like a dork, and my head probably wouldn't even have fit. It would have been up against the roof. I, I'm I'm not you know speed racer or something. I'm not going to wear a helmet in my car. Go speed racer. <laughs> go speed racer. Go. With his brother, <laughs> Rex Racer. Yeah, Rex Racer. His older brother who left home early because Pops. Yeah. Well, he wanted to be a race car driver, too, and Pops didn't want him to. What was the guy with the mask who the big competitor was? What was that guy's name? He had, he had a mask on, remember? He'd drive around wearing a mask. Well, that was Rex Racer. That was uh, oh, well, that was his no. older brother, but the uh, I don't know. He was always his... They had a guy, right? Yeah. He's a bigger guy. I always thought it was weird with Spritle and Chim Chim and all that stuff. It's like, I don't know. Chim Chim could change a tire, couldn't he? I think so. <laughs> I haven't seen it for a while. MTV used to show. You know, MTV's 40 years old now. Happy birthday, MTV. Wow. This is, this is a great show. Fantastic. It was a fun show. Yeah. Except, if, if you notice, you go back with a lot of these shows, especially this one, the actors, they would talk like this. He's busy revving up his powerful Mach 5. Even though it's a cartoon. <laughs> Will you give me the record scratch on this one? Here comes the good part, though, honey. Your life's eraser. Here it comes. Go, Speed Racer. Go, Speed Racer. Go. Okay, that's enough. Yeah, yeah that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> I thought it was a little it was bit too more. long. It's, it's too long, and I thought I, I thought there was a better version of it than that. I didn't like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was just wimpier than I remembered it or something like that. I was out at uh, dinner with my, my niece last night, and... Uh, 
for some reason we got talking about music and everything. And just out of the blue, she comes back with, and I think we had this discussion last week. She goes, yeah, you know, I'm buying, you know, some new songs, you know, for my phone here and this and that. And, uh, I went and I got Welcome Back, Cotter. And, and I go, I go, that's what I, I, I said. I go, what? I go, do you even know who sings that song? She goes, yeah. She goes, John Sebastian. And I go, I go, why are you buying that? She goes, I don't know. Just thought about it and this and that. And now she's on this TV situation, this and that. So I look at her phone. So TV theme songs? TV theme song. So she's got Welcome Back, Cotter going, right? And, and and so she she stepped up to, to to go get some food. So I'm scrolling through her phone, and when she come back, you know what I did? I said, "Oh, you got." I said, "Well, go here's the real song." So of course, you know you know what I picked. She had the monsters on there. Oh, there. So you go. I said, "Get right." So I just immediately clicked off of this song and went right to Herman and Grandpa. Absolutely. And next thing she comes back and she goes. Yeah, I think I know this one too. It's like it's on your phone. It's the greatest of all time. There it is. See now, you know what? I I, I just kind of learned something. Yeah. I didn't realize that John Sebastian did Welcome Back, Cotter. I, I know him from The Loving Spoonful, but I didn't know that he did Welcome See? Back, Cotter. See, you learn on the show. You I always thought that me. was such a cheesy show. Cotter. Yeah. Uh, the song was kind of cheesy, too, but you know, I can understand where the people think hogs. it's pretty cool and it's, you know, got a little meaning Hey, to Vinny Barbarino. Yeah. Freddie yeah. Boom Boom Washington. <laughs> the cast was pretty darn good. Horshack. Horshack, yeah. That was good. Yeah, that was good stuff. I mean, it, it, it has moments in that, but, you know, but oh. it was cheesy. Yeah. All right. Don't, don't ask me why we went here. I, yeah, yeah, we veered off. No, no doubt. We went. Well, it was also cheesy was, to me because there was a teacher that I had in high school that thought he was Mr. Cotter. And he had his own little group of sweat hogs, and I just despised him for it. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Don't forget, uh, Mr. Gabe Kaplan, he was an awesome basketball coach in that basketball movie. Yes. Yes. Whatever it was called that I remember, you know, the whatever it was. I, I used to know this. And I can't believe I I, I dropped I dropped. But and don't forget Swish Mavis Mavis Washington, who is a, a great basketball player. I believe UCLA. Yeah, she was in the movie dressed up as a as a boy, playing for Gabe Cotter's team. There oh yeah, didn't they have to like tape up her have top ta- or something? Taped up like her that breasts. To... Absolutely. Yeah, playing in this in this uh, old worn down gym. Yeah, Gabe Kaplan as your basketball coach. Yeah, give me that name of that movie. It's a great movie. Fast Enjoy. break. Fast break. I knew it. I started to say, yeah, there it is. That was also kind of a cheesy movie, but the most stuff he did was kind of cheesy, but he made a nice living off it. Carson Wentz to have surgery on his foot. You like that transition? Just no segue. <laughs> Just go right to it. <laughs> Expected to miss five to 12 weeks. Frank Reich uh, talked about this injury. Numchuck, you got Frank Reich sound? Sure he does. Carson Here. had an old foot injury, probably a high school injury that was a broken foot sometime in high school that he did not know was broken. And then what happened the other day was in the course of practice, over time, whatever the years, something happens, just the right pressure at the right time, the right movement, all of a sudden that little broken bone that was in there that was lodged in it comes loose. That's loose. It causes, as everybody knows, a lot of pain and aggravation. So then the next couple of days we're discussing over, well, we can leave it in there, and we can leave it in there, try to manage it, see how if it holds up during the year, and take our chances there. But we wanted what was the most predictable outcome. And, uh, you know, we wanted the most predictable outcome. You know, talking to Chris, you know, Chris obviously, like always, brings great leadership in these processes. This is a long-term vision. So, you know, it was like, hey, what's the most predictable outcome? Let's get the peace out of there. Let's get the peace out of there, begin the rehab process, and and think the long haul. Now, the good news is, um, you know, I was going to say, hey, there's – 
you're going to ask, well, what's the time frame? And, you know, the easy answer is there's no, there's no, we're not going to put a time frame on it right now. We're just going to see how it goes. But, you know, all you got to do is just ask the doctors what the time frame are. So we, we asked the two best doctors in the world, what's the time frame? And here's the answer. The answer is the time frame is five to 12 weeks. All right, and again, that's a big range, 5 to 12 weeks. And their first five games are pretty tough. Play the Raiders, I believe, in week number two. Uh, They don't have a decent backup. Uh, This is big-time trouble. How about this? Going back to high school, this bone is in there, and it's floating around. Craziness. Well, how about this, too? How did they determine that it went all the way back to high school? Yeah. So did they, they know think, that there was something? Think. But that's what yeah, I'm saying. It's yeah. like that's a we're talking five to 12, 12 weeks is a big how, I, it, all the all the physicals, all the X-rays, all right? the things he went over his entire career from college to the pros and everything. And now they think this goes back to high school. What leads them to that? I think probably a conversation with Wentz by saying, you know, when was well, I had an injury in high school and this and that. And we thought that it was. You know, it was okay, and then I, you know, it came up again at North Dakota State. I think, I think they're just kind of going by him, and they go back to his medical records. So, has it bothered yeah. him throughout his life here and there? Does it flare up? Then it goes away? Then I mean, it's like yeah. it's it's kind of a strange situation. Yeah, totally. And so, more to come on this. Carson Wentz to have surgery on his foot. Who knows? Five to twelve weeks. Uh, he was playing with this, and in a practice the other day, he said, "You know, this is really bothering me." And a particle, a part of the broken bone that was lodged in there, came loose, and that, that caused a lot of pain. Yeah, the, the broken Indiana, feet can hurt. Yeah, in, in the Indianapolis Colts, man. I mean, here you go. You get this guy. You got probably the best offensive line in football. Yeah, they're 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 in a little bit of trouble right now. Maybe somebody needs to come out of retirement for him. Oh, I want to thank Brett Rapkin, the director of The Weight of Gold, that is uh, streaming on HBO Max right now. An amazing documentary. Go check it out. It talks about depression, a look at mental illness. Michael Phelps, Jeremy Bloom, Lolo Jones, Apollo Ono, Bodie Miller, all of those guys featured in, in that. Appreciate him joining us today, as well as Matt Holt from U.S. Integrity. Tomorrow we're back at it. Terrible Tuesday stuff. Plenty to talk about, and we dive more into the Olympics. We'll see what the men and the women can do, and they've got games. You know, coming up uh, tomorrow. And I do have an Olympic Terrible Tuesday about a review that was absolutely atrocious. Love it. For Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. Go to the website. Check it all out. TCMartinShow.com.